This is a STEAM Channel program on UCTV. Go full STEAM ahead at uctv.tv slash STEAM, where science, technology, engineering, arts, and math converge. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Stephen Mercer. I'm a college admission counselor and an instructor with the University of California, San Diego College Counseling Certificate Program. And I'm really, really honored to have a great guest here today um, who's uh, knows a lot about college admission, has been a long, involved in a long time, and really is someone who I think can give us some insight into all the crazy changes that are going on with college admission right now under these uh, really unusual circumstances that all of us are facing. So I'm really excited to welcome Lisa Prescott, who's the Director of Admission at the University of California at Santa Barbara. Welcome, Lisa. We're really glad to have you today. Thank you. I look forward to talking to you. Great. So, you know, Lisa, could you start off by just telling us, uh, I think everyone, uh, students, families, uh, people on college campuses all around the country, really facing lots of changes in their daily life and their work lives in particular. So can you just kind of fill us in and what's going on on campus right now? What's it look like if I was going to be walking around? Um, I know it's different, but, you know, can you describe that? Yeah, it's eerily quiet. Um, I've only been back to my office a couple of times. You know, I was, I was telling a friend, if you had told me six months ago that we could virtually run an admissions office with my staff of 50 working from 50 different locations, I would have told you it's not possible, uh, but somehow we're doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Yeah. So you have a big admission staff, 50 people. About 50. That includes, you know, our computer programming staff, our visitor center staff, our admission counselors, the entire team. Okay. Now, and is everyone virtual? Everyone is virtual. Okay. How difficult of, of a transition was that? Hmm. Well, you know, admissions folks were used to traveling a lot. We're out right. visiting high schools and such. So it wasn't an entirely foreign concept to us to check in with each other online. But what was surprising is how efficient we could be if we really planned it. Uh you know, trying to do a staff meeting with 50 people over Zoom can be a challenge. But in terms of processing applications, you know, when this all happened, when we were sent home, we were in the middle of reviewing all of our transfer applications. Right. And so that generally requires a lot of dialogue and generally requires us running back and forth to each other's offices and talking out different scenarios we just learned how to convert that online. It actually was not as hard as we thought it would be once we committed to doing everything online. And actually, I've been impressed at how creative people have been in coming up with new ideas. So there have been some silver linings. That's really great. Like what? Like what creative new ways have you and your staff thought about, you know, addressing a, a, one of these challenges? One that I, I'm most proud of, our visitor center staff, that I just thought was incredibly creative, is, you know, we can't give campus tours. And this is typically the time when we have hundreds, literally 800 visitors a day through our visitor center, and now we can't give guided tours. And we had a virtual tour online that families could take 
anywhere in the globe if they wanted to get a virtual tour. But now what we are starting to launch is guided virtual tours so that while the visitor will be seeing the visuals of the campus in a virtual environment, they will be hearing from a live tour guide who will be walking them through the visuals of the campus so that guests can still ask questions and make it an interactive process. And I just thought that was great. Um, The other thing we're trying to do is we normally have something called um, faculty, you know, faculty lectures, and we allow visitors to go sit in on campus lectures. And because we can't do that now, we've had a large number of faculty get in Zoom calls with us and lead a sample lecture for our prospective students. And the students have been able to ask questions back and forth of the faculty. And I thought, this is pretty exciting because these are some world-renowned experts in their field and high school students are getting to dialogue with them over Zoom, which is really exciting. And that's not something they were able to do in a live environment. You know, when they're watching a classroom during a visit, they're not allowed to raise their hand and ask questions, but in the virtual environment, they can. So there's been some fun outcomes. I have to say the the guided, the layering and interaction, right? The guided tour, what you just described with faculty. What a great idea. Yeah, it's really fun. Really? Because, you know, I work with um, students who are in, the process of applying to college. And, you know, once they've been admitted, I don't really see them very much anymore. They, they're often on their way. So I spend almost all my time talking to up younger students, up and coming. And the biggest, biggest frustration, or one of them at least, is the lack of being able to visit college campuses, yeah. right? And that's really, a, I, I know it's, it's always a, an effort to do that, but I think students are really getting nervous about that. Yeah, and after you've watched one virtual tour, they start they start to get old. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. I think that's a really lovely idea. I think it's great. Thanks. Yeah, yeah we're proud of it. So can I ask you, again, uh, it might be hard to know, but with all of these changes in the way your office is working and interacting with students, do you expect these changes to stick and stay, you know, for the foreseeable future? You know, are you raring to get back to normal and just open up the office again when this is all calmed down? And what's your perspective as a leader I in the office? I think when we go back, there are elements that we will absolutely keep. You okay. know, I think a lot of people in all industries are finding out that, you know, maybe we don't have to have so many meetings You know, um, maybe we can make them shorter, maybe using chat to ask a quick question as opposed to sending an email or pulling everybody together, um, which I think is great because it allows us more time to serve students, you know, instead of sitting in a meeting. So I think some of that will remain. And there are some things in a virtual environment, for instance, in the fall when we're typically out visiting schools, I might be limited to, because of scheduling, only be able to visit three high schools a day. And I may still do three live visits, but I might also invite the entire school district to join me in a Zoom presentation. So my sense is it's allowed us to think a little more creatively, and I actually think we'll be able to reach more students doing a blended hybrid type of outreach, including some in person and some online 
and invite more people. I can visit all 50 states. I can visit every country. I can visit thousands of schools in California because then I can invite five schools at a time as opposed to trying to visit them one at a time. I don't think anything replaces the person-to-person visit, and I don't want to see that ever go away, but I do think we can reach more people than we've been able to reach before. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's great. And as parents so, you know, get more comfortable, right? As parents get more comfortable with the technology, right. we can better reach parents as well. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I find in my work, when I meet, I mostly meet with students individually to do my college counseling. Yeah. And the fa- the pa- parents are always involved in some way. And it's the parents who are most hesitant to commit to working in an online environment. Yes. And I've been working online for years, for years. Um, so it just takes some getting used to it. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, some of the other admission folks I've spoken with recently have expressed um, concern for the upcoming class, right? Right now is about time when, you know, you're trying to wrap up your incoming class, make sure they're all settled, but you're already focusing on recruiting the next group and meeting your goals and making sure that everything's in order, right? right. And that this time is really critical from a kind of building those relationships with prospective students. Yes. So, you know, what you've described are some really neat um, creative ways of approaching that, but, you know, as an enrollment manager, you know, what are your other concerns or are you concerned oh, about sure. the next year's class? You know, do you, do you see really, you know, how big are those hurdles beyond just coming up with creative ways to engage yeah. in terms of really making sure you get those apps in? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a legitimate question. I think for us, one of the challenges is, for instance, students aren't visiting campus live, right? And so the way that we often meet students for the first time and have them sign up to be on our mailing list to get more information, to receive more, you know, personalized attention is the first time they visit a campus. They will fill out a little intake form or a registration form online, and that allows us to continue our conversation long after that visit is over. Well, because right. people can't visit in on in person right now, we're not getting sort of building our database of interested students. Yep. And with the exams, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, the SAT, ACT, now optional for University of yeah. California, we will have fewer student prospective students, sophomores, juniors, sending that's us right. their scores. And that's another way that we discover who's interested in our campus so that we can begin that dialogue with them. That's right. So one piece of advice I've been giving younger students is if you have an interest in a campus, join their mailing list. Yep. Uh, we try to be very, very sensitive to not spam, to not send more than they need to know. So our philosophy at our campus is to invite them to, for instance, application workshops. Summer is a good time to begin writing your personal insight questions or college essays. So we're trying to do a lot of online webinars about what you might consider including in that essay. And so if we have students on our registration lists, then we can send them information saying, hey, we're going to be doing this workshop about 
completing your application, you might want to tune in. So again, if they can go online and join the mailing list of the schools that they're interested in, they'll receive that information. And if at any point they feel that the college is giving them more information than they want, they can always unsubscribe. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. And I've been mentioning that to students too, that that taking a little bit of extra proactive steps, like a simple thing, like joining a mailing list is actually really important. It really kind of sets off a a, a series of communications and events and just gets them on your list, right? Yes. And that that is an important part of this process. It seems simple though. Yeah, but sincere interest, Stephen, is, is I think really important because one thing that has happened is some colleges talk about thing as something called demonstrated interest. Right. And students feel like they have to join the mailing list because that tells the schools they're interested. University of California does not look at demonstrated interest at all. So you joining our mailing list is truly just so you can get more information. It's okay. not... Uh, something that we're going to look at when we're reviewing your application. Did you join our mailing list? This really okay. is just a service to the students. Okay, good good point. Really good point because you're right. There's a lot of myths around that. A lot yeah. of people get caught up in thinking a lot about those things, yeah. trying to game game the system. Exactly. Right? But but can I ask you, But but when you say sincere interest, when it comes at least to your campus, to Santa Barbara, it, is that important that the student show that or... You know, no. where does that fall? No, it's not. Because, listen, at 17, 18, you probably have a lot of interests. And right. you probably are very much in an exploratory mode. You should be right. in an exploratory mode. I really don't like to see a student overly narrow their focus on anything, whether it be what college to apply to or what, you know, I always tell students, how do you know if you want to major in something if your school offers 10 disciplines and we offer 100 You know, you need to be exploratory at this phase in your academic career. So the sincere interest just means if you want to receive information about our campus, I want you to have that. Um, But I also know that you're probably exploring a lot of other colleges right now. And that is what you should be doing. Yeah. Um, When I worked in college admission years ago, long time ago now, I remember our assumption was is if you send us an application then you're really interested mm-hmm. and you don't need to jump through hoops or come up with, you know, creative or tricky or strategic, subtle ways to show us you're interested. An application meant you would like us to consider you and we would take that as seriously as every other application. Right. So, you know, the University of California application, the student can apply to all nine UCs on one application. When I'm reviewing that application, I'm going to review it as a as if I'm your first choice. And realistically, I know that might not be the case, but that's okay. I'm going to assume you applied, you paid the fee or used a fee waiver to apply to our campus. It means you're interested. So it's my job to give you the best information so that if you are admitted, you have everything you need to make your decision. And I want you if I admitted you. I absolutely do. Um, But I think it's more important that you find the school that's the best fit. So my feelings are not hurt if ultimately you go somewhere else, but I'm going to review you as if we are your first choice. Yep. Makes sense that I agree with that. So I'd like to, to shift gears a little bit and talk about 
lots of changes around standardized testing yeah. that the University of California system has recently announced. Yeah. So uh, for those that don't aren't familiar that are watching this, can you just review for us what the decision was by the UC Board of Regents? Yes, what the Board of Regents recently decided um, was that for students applying to the fall 21 term and the fall 22 term, for California students and for non-resident students, for those two applicant cycles, we are test optional. So it's okay. truly up to the student to decide. Um, following uh, those two years, the years 23 and 24, we will be test blind for California students, meaning the exams won't be a part of our selection process for admissions. They may come into play in other ways, scholarships hmm. or specialized things like that, but they won't be used. What we're okay. still waiting to hear is what the decision will be for years uh, fall 23 and fall 24 is how that applies to non-resident students. Okay, so just to clarify, the first two years, these next ones coming up, it's test optional for California residents as well as anyone applying from yes. outside of California. Any applicant to UC okay. for the next two years, we are test optional. What about individual departments that sometimes uh, ask for subject tests or something? Is, it, are there, is there any provision for a engineering or a specialized program to say, we'd like to see? Yeah, good question. Those exams were always optional. You know, so for instance, some engineering programs recommend students take the math subject exam. Those have always been optional. They remain optional. Okay. If the department chooses to re continue right. to recommend that. But what okay. that means for the colleges is that we are having to, to think about, well, how do we make a decision for a very, say, a very math-focused major, and maybe we don't have that information about math scores. But we do have other things. We have a GPA. We can look at the curriculum the student completed. How much math did they complete? How far in their curriculum did they go? They can write about it in their personal statement. So we have other means of finding out if the student feels prepared in those areas. But it does put a little bit more onus on the student to tell mm -hmm. that story. Right. So let's let's stay on that example for a moment, mm -hmm. when you're looking maybe for a math intensive uh, major and you're reading that application right. and you're looking at other parts of the application a little bit more deeply, because yeah, I know you always look at all parts, right? would you be looking for math related activity in extracurricular activities, for example? It could be. I mean, okay. it, you know, the beauty of the UC admission process is that it's very holistic, it's very comprehensive. So mm -hmm. any bit of information a student shares on their application is going to be looked at and considered. Okay. So for one student, it might be that they've chosen to take some community college math courses, um, and maybe they've completed all the way through AP uh, calculus, and now they're gonna try a course at their local community college. Another student might be a member of the math club. Another student might be a tutor um, for mm -hmm. other students in 
the topic areas that they're interested or where they have special talent. So again, it does put a little bit more onus on the student to give us examples of how they show that talent. Um, But there's not a preferred thing that we're looking for. I'm not going to favor the student who chooses to tutor over the student who goes the community college math course. They're both excellent examples and options, and they're both equally impressive. Okay. So that kind of leads me to, you know, when I talk about test optional uh, colleges with students and families, um, I get two different reactions. The first is a huge sigh of relief, you know, and just a, a an absolute, you know, big smile spreading across a student's face. Yeah. Uh, but then there's another reaction, and sometimes it's the same student who pauses and then says, well, wait a minute, how could that possibly work? Mm-hmm. You know, how does, how is the college going to do that, right? So we've, many of us feel that it's so ingrained in the admission process. And I've, you know, known that there's a movement of test optional, often at smaller schools, at least that's what started, Mm -hmm. where maybe the number of applications is a different reading process than a school like yours, right? So what are you doing? I I know this is just so new, but what are you doing internally to make sure that you're decision-making process across all of your staff, you know, is, is really functioning well without this, what's maybe thought to be a vital piece of information is no longer there. Right. It's a lot of training. I mean, I think students need to understand, and we train our staff this way. My goal in the admissions office is to admit you. My goal is not to deny you. I am the director of admissions, right? And so, when we're reviewing an application, we're looking for every bit of information that builds the case to admit that student. So if there's information not provided by the student, like they forget to tell us they're a member of the math club, for instance, that's that's unfortunate because that's a bit of information that I could use to show that, wow, this student has really gone above you know, the minimum requirements to prepare themselves for university. So it's going to require us to do a lot more training um, of the people who review applications to make sure you're tuning into every aspect of that application. It's going to require that we train our evaluators to not be biased if they don't see a score. For instance, Mm -hmm. don't make assumptions if the score is not presented that the student chose not to provide the score because they didn't do well. There may be very many reasons why a student chooses not to take the exam. They don't have the time to prepare. Um, It could be that the test centers in their community were full. There's been a lot of problems lately in the news about students being able to access registration, for instance. So we need to make sure our Evaluators are informed that it might not have been the student's choice not to take the test. It may not have been available to them, or they may have chosen not to take the test because they wanted to spend more of their time preparing in other ways. Maybe the test prep time takes too much, and this is a talented student who is an artist or you know has an athletic skill or a musical skill, and they want to apply their time towards better developing those skills. Again, the onus is on the student to tell us that, but we also as educators need to train students 
on what to present so that we um, can use those types of skills in the evaluation. But it does take some reshaping. You know, we've had this for years. Honestly, I, for one, is one, I was one of those students who always did horribly on those standardized tests. So I would have been one of the students applauding. And Mm -hmm. um, we understand that. Remember, we were students. We've worked in education for a very long time. We understand that some students aren't great test takers. Um, And opposite that, I think it's important to say optional means optional. It could be that you're a phenomenal test taker and you've worked really hard to prepare for that exam. And you were hoping that that was going to be one of the factors that we would look at because you're very proud of your success in your exam. Therefore, because it's optional, you can still submit it. And if it helps you, we'll use it. If you submit a score that doesn't look like it's going to give you additional weight in any way in our decision, then we'll ignore it. Ah, so that's a good point. You know, in in conversation with some other admission officers that I've had in the past, uh, I remember distinctly one person at a you know college back east saying something to the effect of, "I'm going to paraphrase. You know, if you send us your test score, but it was optional and you chose to do so, and it didn't really meet our you know standard, it didn't reflect on you very well, right? Maybe that was the weaker part of that application. I remember this person distinctly saying." Our office can't unsee a test score once hmm. it's arrived, right? So, can you talk about that? What you just mentioned, and is that yeah, are you really I mean, going to work to kind of the student's advantage? I guess right, and that's where it comes down to training on our side, making sure our evaluators know: do not use it if it does not help the student. And it goes back to our goal is to admit you, you know. And a basis of all of our training when we're training our evaluators is look for the factors within this application that allow you to score this student as high as possible. And so it really is going to come down to training. And I understand the student's concern. I really do. Because obviously, if I see a score, I see it. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is where trust comes in and know that we screen our readers very carefully. The people who read applications are either admissions professionals or their teachers or high school counselors that are assisting us with the process. So there are people who understand education. We don't just hire anybody to review an application. It has to be somebody who really understands high school education and the challenges that students face while they're in high school. Got it. You know, I've, I've always, um, I was really surprised by the UC decision. Um, I mean, I applaud it, but I was really surprised because I was making an assumption that the UC system as a whole and then the various UC campuses get so many applications. It's just about quantity that there had to be built in, in addition to GPA and, you know, the rigor of the coursework, another very clear objective measure as one of the tools to help filter, essentially, you know, so many applications. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... I'm glad that I was wrong, but I was really wrong because I was pretty confident in conversation, you know, yeah. uh, with people that I knew that it wouldn't, that would never happen. And here I am. Yeah. Right. So let me ask you this, uh, a question that I get then from students who start scratching their head and say, well, how, how would that work is kind of what we were just talking about. You know, does a student 
send, when should a student not send the score if it's optional? Uh-huh. And when should they send the score? I think if they feel like the score is truly a reflection of their ability, go ahead and send it. If they feel like, you know, I woke up that morning to take the exam and I had the flu, don't submit it. Um, but also don't worry if we we get the score and you feel that urge to like, oh, can I call the school and ask them not to use it? Again, we will not use it if it does not help the student's uh, application. And okay. it, I think the point you talked about, people don't think it could possibly be that personal of a review. Right. Because how could you possibly review 92,000 freshman applications in that short amount of time? Uh, You know, other universities, small private colleges may have a student's application and sit down in a committee with multiple people and review each application as a group one at a time. Mm -hmm. Obviously, with 92,000 freshman applications, that's not a reality for us. But every application is reviewed by multiple people individually. So I'll review an application. I will rate it. it goes back into the queue and a second person will evaluate it, give it a score. If our scores vary too much, it'll go to a third person. So it really is an individual looking at your application individually and looking at all aspects of it. What's different is we don't do it in committee and we have to rely on hiring outside educational experts to help us. Um, because our staff is not large enough to get through 92,000. But we can hire educators to help us for that short window of time, and we do. So at our campus, we hire about 90 external reviewers who go through extensive training um, and sample cases, and we're making sure they understand our philosophy before we let them loose on real applications. And many of our readers come back year after year. So they're experienced in our system. So it just takes more people, but it is very personalized. Okay. Interesting. Well, it's going to be really interesting to see in the next several months in the next cycle, how this all plays out. And I'm, I'm really glad I'm wrong because I think going test optional is a great, a great decision. Yeah. Um, I want to close with one thing that, you know, I know that there's a lot that's up in the air Uh with, everyone's life, right? Whether school's going to get back to normal and workplaces are going to get back to normal. But, you know, what can you tell me about the plans for the fall for the incoming and returning students? Um, What do you know about what might look like? Yeah, it's going to be a little bit different for every college. Um, And even within the University of California, you're probably going to see some variance because we all are placed, we all are in different counties And every county has its own codes and things that the universities need to follow. So we still on our campus haven't made any final decisions about instruction. It is fully our goal to definitely have some students back on campus. How many that will be? What can it be all? Is it a percentage? We're still trying to determine that. Some of that is going to be based on How many students are we allowed to bring back into the residence halls? You know, what are the health codes around that? Can we provide um, 
make sure that the conditions are such that we can do the necessary cleaning in between lectures. Can the lecture halls be cleaned? Can the residence halls be cleaned to ensure the students stay healthy? Um, so we're still working that out. We hope to have decisions made by the middle of this month, and we're almost there. We're at June 4th now. So hopefully within another week and week and a half, two weeks, we'll have some decisions about what those ratios might look like. Um, but we are still fully trying to get to the point where we hope to see live students in the fall. Okay. Yeah, I can't guarantee I that at this point because it hasn't been decided, but that is still our goal. Okay. I know everyone across on every campus are thinking hard about what next year is going to look like. Yeah. Um, what is your feeling about incoming new or rather new students coming in who've been admitted and committed to your campus? What is your feeling about students taking a gap year, right? Who are disappointed. This is not how I wanted to start college. I think I'll wait. My heart breaks for students right now. It really does. And I guess I would say two things. First of all, to all students, whether you're a senior or younger, you know, our hearts go out to you. We know this is not what your dream of getting ready to college was going to look like. Know that we're sympathetic. Know that when we're reviewing applications next year, we understand that you maybe didn't participate in a club that you had planned to participate in or do an internship that you had planned for the summer. We fully understand that. For students who are seniors who are looking forward to starting college in the fall, you will start college in the fall. It might not look exactly like what you wanted it to look like, but I think colleges are being really creative about the way they're bringing instruction to students in whatever format they can. So it will eventually return to normal. I have full hope for that and it will get better. For students who are thinking, do I do a gap year or not? You know, I think you have to follow your heart um, with that one. I think every student, every college in the country is in the same boat right now. We're all trying right. to make this happen for you. Um, our goal is to have you on our campuses and developing those skills that you're hoping to develop. The thing to think about a gap year is how will you use that year? Right. You know, if you decide right. that that's the route that you're going to go, how will you use that year? Because you still might not have the internships available to you. So you're going to have to think creatively about how can you make that an exciting, worthwhile year that keeps you moving forward in your own career, professional, personal development. That's right. It's not an easy decision. It's not, no. It's a different gap year decision than it is in a, in a, a normal year. Absolutely, that's for yeah. Well, I think that's a really good note to end on. I really, um, I'm really grateful, Lisa, for your um, time here and your advice. It's really nice to hear your caring and informed thoughts about how you as a admission leader in the UC system think about this process and put students at the front and center. And it just really is exciting to hear that. I'm glad you've had a chance to share it with everyone today. Well, thank you. And be best wishes to the students and the counselors and the parents. I know it's tough, but it will get better. <laughs> yeah. Great. Thank you.